Hi, it's Wes Fryer. Today is March the 14th, 2021. I thought I'd go ahead and just share the recording from today's Sunday School class. This channel is quite erratic with different content pieces and not anything very regular, and I probably need to figure out how to set myself up on a more regular podcasting schedule on this channel and on my Speed of Creativity channel. However, on our EdTech Situation Room channel that I do with Jason Neifer, we are usually publishing every week. Uh, we have a Wednesday night show for that. But uh, this channel, uh, Class with Dr. Fryer, is something that I set up as a bit of an experiment to get a little more direct experience with the process of, of editing and publishing with Anchor. It is fantastic. Um, I have just exported an audio-only version of today's lesson, which I recorded on Zoom. Uh, we had a breakout room time of a uh, table of a it was a check-in question uh, with small groups, and that was not recorded. And then the, the ending table talk and joys and concerns time. I don't record those parts of our class, but I, I ended up combining both of the recordings on either side of our check-in question in QuickTime Pro on my computer and uh, exporting that <clears throat> at 1080p and then publishing it to YouTube. All of those uh, resources, the slides for our classes, and all of the videos, which is one of the benefits of the pandemic, right, is that we're on Zoom and we can record class. So you can access all that at followjesus.westfriar.com. And um, I'll include in the description here a link to the slides. But we started a new book this past week, and today was the second Sunday, for, and we talked about chapter one. The book is called Re the Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism, and it's by Timothy Keller, who is the pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. And the title of his first chapter is, um, There Can't Just Be One True Religion. Uh, and so I chose as our focus verses for today, John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10, when Jesus proclaims that he is the gate to which we go to our Father, God, and we access God the Father. Um, and I think that we'll probably, we're at least going to pick up um, the latter portion of chapter one next week. And that may be all that we do, or I may go ahead and go on to chapter two. I need to take a look at the remaining weeks that we have before the end of, of May when our when our Sunday school class ends and I need to, you know, basically kind of chart that out and I haven't done that yet. And I don't know if I'll be able to have the luxury of, of just do of doing more than one Sunday per chapter uh, to be able to finish this book, but it is an excellent book. I highly commend it to you. And if you are interested in this, um, I'm not regularly publishing the Sunday school classes here on anchor as audio only uh, channels. If you're interested, if you had listened to this and, and you find it, you know, helpful and beneficial and good, you know, feel free to send me some feedback. You can always send feedback, send feedback to me by contacting me uh, on Twitter. If you happen to be on Twitter, my Twitter ID primarily is wfryer. Um, but I also have an electronic contact form that you can fill out at westfriar.com slash contact. And there's other ways um, there to contact me, but that's probably those are probably the two primary ones. So, without further ado, it's back to this morning, uh, daylight savings time. We sprung forward a, uh, an hour, and I think everyone in our class 
pretty much was there. We were missing missing at least one person. But anyway, we, we have about, I don't know, 10 to 12 folks that gather. And we have throughout the pandemic. It's been wonderful. Uh, and this the title of this class is Curiosity and Questions, Jesus and Science. And uh, we studied first a book by Oxford mathematician and professor John C. Lennox called 2084, AI and the Future of Humanity. And we studied that throughout the fall semester and part, partly into January and February of 2021. And now we're, we're pick, picking up this book by Timothy Keller. Both of these books and both of these authors I encountered through the Veritas Forum, which is a wonderful organization uh, that started at Harvard University. And their goal is to bring together academics and scientists and medical professionals and others who will share about the intersection of their faith with their professional life and their work. In many cases, that is the intersection of faith and science. So without further ado, here is today's Sunday School lesson from March the 14th, 2021. Thanks for listening. All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the first day of Daylight Savings Time. Congratulations on uh, being here on time. Today is March the 14th, 2021. Today, we're going to be talking about chapter one of Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, Belief in an Age of Skepticism. Uh, first chapter is titled, There Can't Be Just One True Religion. And as we talked about last week, and just the overview of his book, the first half of his book is a detailed um, series of responses to some of the most common objections that he has heard as a pastor and specifically as, as a pastor of a large church in New York City in a part of the country where he was told when he was going there to found this church, you know, don't do this. This isn't a part of the church or this isn't a part of the country. These aren't um, folks that are that are open to uh, a Bible-believing, you know, Jesus-focused evangelical uh, Presbyterian church, and um, with like over 5,000 members before the the pandemic, um, and I think he might have founded it in 1989, early 90s, something like that. Anyway, it has been um, a very successful church, and he has become a very articulate and I think fairly well-known apologist for evangelical reformed Christianity. So today we're going to read the first 10 verses of the book of John um, from chapter 10. And the reason that I chose those verses wasn't, um, it was in, in this particular chapter, um, there's not a whole lot of citations actually of scripture. There's a lot of citations of other authors and other books uh, who are, you know, biblical scholars as well as, as secular critics of Christianity. But this is the, the, the verse, you know, I am doing Jesus says, I am the gate. And I think this is going to be a fantastic study because it really dives in to some very, very common questions that people have about Christianity and about Jesus. There's an overlay with science and secularism because overall we've seen you know, certainly uh, the advance of, of science, but also secular mindsets and, and atheistic worldviews. And as Keller points out, Christianity is not on the ropes and getting smaller worldwide. And so anyway, we're going to get into that. I did not in these slides, and I'll, I'll post these on our website. I'll send you a link to them. 
usually I have screenshots that I've had of each one of the sections we're going to do today, um, in part because of my own uh, time mismanagement. I'm just going to be showing you on my Kindle Live uh, those sections of the book, and we'll we'll uh, probably just going to cover chapter chapter uh, one in its entirety. But there's a possibility we may. Um, we may need to go over to next time. So I want to start out with a prayer. We're going to have some announcements. Our big question today is going to have to do with when you've wrestled with this universalist claim of Christianity, the, the gate verse of Jesus being the way, not one way, not a way, but the way. And we'll read those uh, 10 verses from John chapter 10. Um, then I do want to do a check-in question and we're, we'll see how, um, uh, We'll probably still divide into two groups just to it, the dynamics I think are good when we have smaller groups. So we'll have a, a quick check-in question and then um, I'll share some highlights of chapter one and uh, we'll have some time for table talk and joys and concerns. So that's our plan. So opening prayer today is going, or the photos I should say for the opening prayer uh, are from Friday because I rode in the back seat as our son drove our youngest daughter, Rachel, and the two of us to Ada, Oklahoma, where the Chickasaw Nation is providing immunizations uh, at that time for all teachers and teacher families. And so both Alex and Rachel, who is almost 18, she's 17 and a half, were able to get their Pfizer vaccine right in the car. And it was so efficient and well done. A friend of ours, and I haven't found the link to this or seen it in the news yet, but was saying that she thought Chickasaw Nation was opening it up to all, to all Oklahomans. So let's open up with a word of prayer today. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given. We thank you for the rain. We thank you for the spring temperatures. We thank you for the relief that we have from the incredibly cold temperatures that we experienced just about a month ago. Uh, God, we continue to lift up all those who, who are hurting and suffering. There are many, Lord, that uh, we've, we read about who are um, still suffering because of those storms, because of the difficulties that uh, these freezing temperatures brought. And so many, God, because of COVID, um, people are, are, are continuing to lose family members, to be sick, to have anxiety um, over the, the pandemic. And uh, God, I want to thank you for all of those who are continuing to serve and minister to um, not only people here in the United States, but around the world with medicine. I want to pray that you would act through all of the medical personnel and the officials and everyone involved in the vaccine to bring that to as many people as uh, want to take that, Lord. And I, I just pray that you would enable us to be wise as we continue to walk through this time when more of us have received vaccinations, uh, but we know that there are still dangers. God, help us to be uh, sensitive to others. Help us to be unified in your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for our church. We thank you for the ministries of our church. Help us to continue to be active and involved and to be your hands and feet in this time, even as we continue to have this different different situation with, with COVID and the things that we, uh, we have to do or can't do um, in, our, in our communities and in our homes. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, announcements today. Uh, Shelly and I did attend the first of Eric Lovrens's eight-week class that he just started this last week called The Biblical Roots 
of the civil rights movement. And very important, it's not every week. This is spring break for many schools, not UCO, incidentally, where our, our daughter is a sophomore. They, they had an extra Christmas week, so they, they skipped spring break. But at uh, our school where Shelly and I are and a lot of other schools, this is spring break. And so our church traditionally does not have, you know, Wednesday night um, regular activities during that week. And so the next uh, session is going to be March 24th. You, know, you can attend via Zoom. And so they'll send you a link to be able to join via Zoom. And there is a very extensive, I think it's like 137 page PDF that they can uh, email us. Or if you want to go to the church and pick one up, they have them. They're asking for a $10 donation uh, to help defray the, that cost. Uh, but this is the focus, and it was the focus of, of Pastor Eric's uh, graduate work at, at Princeton Theological Seminary. And one of the stories that he shared on Wednesday night, uh, which I thought was was poignant, uh, was that he, he, he talked about how, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was certainly you know, not the only civil rights leader. And, and really one of the biggest reasons for him doing this is to help us recognize the biblical focus of the, especially the early civil rights movement in the United States. There were changes that happened as, as the civil rights uh, vote, as the civil rights act was passed, I think in what, 65. And then as the movement moved, for, moved forward, there were different people who, you know, called for a departure from the historic focus on, on nonviolence and prayer and being centered on agape love. And so he told a story of, of uh, being able to hear one of the civil rights uh, leaders speak at Princeton and talking to him and saying to him, ask, saying to him that he, be, is, it, is it true that the cross was so central to everything that they did and that that, that um, the civil rights leader, val you know, validated what what he said. And evidently, Eric ran this into, into challenges when he was there uh, later at Vanderbilt um, doing his his graduate work. So I think it's great. There's a lot of really, really important ideas that aren't just important from a historical standpoint, but they're important for us today, um, depending upon what our circle looks like, uh, who our friends are, uh, who we interact with you know, the difficulties that, that we have, that we face, and we have seen in our country with respect to race relations, you know, we may be fairly insulated from that, or that may be something that we are directly in the middle of. And I do believe that we are called to be engaged in our community. We are serving our community in many ways. And I think that this is a I think this is fantastic. I, I probably never would have imagined that number one, we would, be at, we would be able to offer a class like this that we could attend either in person or over Zoom at home. But number two, I don't know that I would have thought, honestly, that our church would tackle this. I'm really glad that we are. So that's a long little additional public service announcement for that class. But I wanna encourage everybody, they are recording them too. And so if you happen to miss last week, uh, I'm, 90% sure uh, that you can get a link that the church can send um, because they did record that. So daily prayer services continue on, um, well, every day at noon, except for Saturdays that you can uh, tune in for the church and uh, microgroups are continuing as Pastor Eric is continuing his teach us to pray devotional series or, you know, sermon series um, as we lead up to Lent. All right, here's the big question for today as we look at Tim Keller's smiling face there on the left. Um, and I'm gonna phrase this in two different ways. One of the most prominent things that Tim 
addresses in chapter one is is a response to religious relativism and by that he means and i mean the idea that there are multiple paths to god that there is not a single truth there is not a single path um that folks who would claim that there are there is a single path are arrogant and um intolerant and and, and that, you know, the, the appropriate path is to, is to have a relativistic, all-inclusive path. And so the big question that I'm going to challenge us to wrestle with as, as the final table talk question is stated two different ways. How do we respond to, to religious relativism? Um, or how have you wrestled with those universal claims, the claims that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and, and the life? Uh, whether that's in a conversation that you've had with, with someone in the past, or maybe there's somebody that you're engaged with today or that you're thinking of that you know, um, how have you wrestled with that? Uh, that's our question. So for our Bible verses, let's uh, open up our Bibles to John chapter 10, and I want to read the first 10 verses, and I'm going to read both from the NIV as well as the message. And this is the the verse where we the, that we... Uh, we hear Jesus call himself the gate. This is subtitled in the NIV, the good shepherd and his sheep. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And now I'd like to go ahead and read Eugene Peterson's interpretation of these same verses. And this is from the message. And these are grouped in two different sections as he does. So five verses at a time. And this is subtitled, he calls his sheep by name. Let me set this before you as plainly as I can. If a person climbs over or through the fence of a sheep pen, instead of going through the gate, you know, he's up to no good, a sheep rustler. The shepherd walks right up to the gate. The gatekeeper opens the gate to him and the sheep recognize his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he gets them all out, he leads them and they follow because they are familiar with his voice. They won't follow a stranger's voice, but will scatter because they aren't used to the sound of it. Jesus told this simple story, but they had no idea what he was talking about. So he tried again. I'll be explicit then. I am the gate for the sheep. 
All those others are up to no good. Sheep stealers, every one of them. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Anyone who goes through me will be cared for, will freely go in and out and find pasture. A thief is only there to steal and kill and destroy. I came so they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Thanks be to God. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to go ahead and pause our recording and I'll stop my screen share. And the the prompt that I want to uh, ask you to, to visit about uh, is basically to share about a time you remember discussing or debating whether or not Jesus was the only way to God and salvation. And I will, I will preface this before we, we break up in saying um, that this particular fo- Bible verse and this focus on the the universality of Jesus's claims and and the absolutist claims, because Jesus, is, you know, and these verses are are very very clear about this that that there's not there's not multiple paths. You know, Jesus talks about there um, being many houses in my in my Father's house, but you know, He is the way to salvation, and this is something. It's, it's something that I continue to encounter and I have encountered in several places in my life. And so what I just hope we'll be able to do a little bit is talk about um, either how, how we've encountered this or maybe how we might be wrestling with this today. Um, because this is really, it's the first chapter of the book and it, it's a huge issue that even in, I think, Christendom in terms of churches that, that profess and call themselves Christian, um, you can... You can, you can find churches that are disagreeing about this. And generally, when we think of an evangelical church, we will think of a church that, that you know, claims the authority of Jesus and, you know, f- firmly stands in, in, in the claims of John chapter 10. Um, but this is something that finds some controversy, not only as we interact with secular culture, but even within the church itself. So... I'm going to stop recording. Oh, all right. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, and I think that one thing that I didn't preface all that conversation with that's important to remember as well, you know, we are in all different places with respect to our faith journey um, because of our age, because of our experiences, because of life. And I think that that this book and this study is going to, it's going to raise issues that, that, that some of us, or maybe many of us may not feel completely settled on, may feel conflicted about. And I want to say to everyone that God wants us to bring our questions. Um, I am going to continue to do the best that I can to not only, you know, share scripture and interpret scripture, um, in, in the way that, that I'm guided and we're guided by the Holy Spirit. But, you know, the, the questions that we have and the questions that others have, God is big enough to handle. And um, th- this particular like topic, just to start right off of the gate, I, I mentioned like, this is not something that these verses from John chapter 10 and this particular Bible focus is, is something that a lot of people will feel uncomfortable about and 
and may have different views about. And I want to just hopefully invite everyone and I hope that our, our class in terms of, I mean, table talk in those times, we don't, we're not recording and we're in small groups. I hope this can be a safe time. I know it is hard as we're, you know, still remote and we're not all together. Um, but th this is challenging, but I think it's challenging in a really good way. And what we have faith in is, is, is God's reality and God's provision. And that as we bring our questions to him and as we pray and we seek you know, the counsel and insight of other believers that God's Holy Spirit is going to inform and talk to us and, and share uh, his truth with us. So um, if you haven't picked it up yet, I encourage you to, to pick up Tim Keller's book. In general, we're going to try to take a chapter a week uh, and finish off this semester with this study. Um, and um, you know, you can, you can pick this up on Kindle. You can pick this up as a, as a print book. And last week's slideshow included several different videos of Tim um, articulating some of the main points of his book. Uh, one of them that I shared with you is, is featured on the Veritas Forums website. I think it's like an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and it is, it's really good. It's really good to, to hear him articulate and explain um, and re and respond to some of these you know direct questions in, in some cases in that in that Veritas forum video you know to someone who was not a Christian and did not ascribe to Christianity you know and asking asking really really challenging questions and hearing his responses I think it reinforces well these messages to not only have a chance to read them um, and then to you know hear me say some things about it on Sunday and, and talk about it at our tables, but also to have a chance to, to watch some video. And because of the limitations of Zoom and also just the, the best ways to use our time as we're here in Sunday school, I'm not going to, as I might, if we were all face to face, you know, spend, spend longer times at least today, but but probably probably not moving forward, you know, sharing those videos. But I'm going to continue to point you to those, and and I have those linked on our on our website as well. So what I'd like to do now is actually I'm going to exit my presentation here, and I am going to switch over to my uh, Kindle and just kind of go through some of the some of the key points here um, in chapter one that he, that he goes through. Again, there's not a lot of biblical quotations here. There, what, he's, what he's really um, doing is sharing from his own ministry experience questions and criticisms that seekers or non-believers or non-Christians have shared. Um, and then also I would say, you know, Christians and followers of God who are are continuing to, um, to to seek truth, and so this idea that surely all religions are equally good and valid for meeting the needs of their particular followers that statement is something that we hear a lot in our Western United States, you know, twenty 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 first century culture, um, and and really I think I was I'm reading a book about the earthquake, tsunami, and firestorm in Lisbon, Portugal in 1755. It's a book called Gulf of Fire. 
And, you know, I was just reminded, I think yesterday or the day before, you know, they call the time before the Enlightenment the age of faith. Some people do. But then they call it the age of reason afterwards. And so there's there's almost this idea that, you know, we're post-faith as a society. But as Tim points out in this book, that is not the case in terms of what we see with, with Christianity and the growth of Christianity. Um, and so Tim begins the chapter by saying, as he asks people this question, what is your biggest problem with Christianity? What troubles you the most? This word exclusivity is something that, that comes up regularly. Um, he talks about students that, you know, believe in a loving God, um, and they think that, you know, if you're, if you're insisting on a particular interpretation, a particular faith, then, then you're being intolerant. Um, world peace. Many people believe that a main barrier to world peace is religion, especially the major, you know, traditional religions that have these, quote, exclusive claims to superiority. And, um, <laughs> you know, we are, I think, very fortunate in so many ways uh, living in the time that we do, that we're not living at a time where religious warfare, where we live here in Oklahoma in the United States is violent, but it is violent in other parts of the world. And it has been incredibly violent. And that's something that also turns some people away from faith to say, good grief, you know, the crusades were, were terrible. The inquisition was terrible. The seven years war, there's all these different, you know, even between between Christians, between Protestants and Catholics, lots of history of warfare, lots of history of conflict. Um, there's a, um, there, he talks about uh, three approaches that leaders around the world have used historically and sometimes continue to propose to quote, address the divisiveness of religion. And so Number one is to outlaw religion. Now, he cites Soviet Russia, Communist China, the Khmer Rouge, which was in Cambodia, and Nazi Germany. And he points out that the result of outlawing religion in those countries uh, was the opposite of more peace and harmony. It was more oppression. Uh, we've talked numerous times in our class about the Uyghur minority, the Muslim minority in Western China today that is prohibited from practicing their faith and if they are perceived to be not following the rules of the government in Beijing, which wants to have a secular society that is not religious, that is not gathering together in the name of God, whether, whether it's, it's Allah in the Muslim tradition or, you know, Yahweh in, in I, don't, I don't know, I don't think there's very many Jews there in, in that part of, of China, but, you know, Whatever name that God is going to be called, he is prohibited uh, in terms of uh, the organized uh, worship. And, and so religion in China today, and it's not just in Western China, but I, that sounds like it's the place where it's most oppressive. They're doing this today. This is not just a historical, gosh, that happened years ago, you know, during the South, wars in Southeast Asia with the Khmer Rouge or during World War II with the Nazis. Now, this is, this is actually happening today. Now, um, this is a quotation that he um, gives from Alistair McGrath, and there's a lot of really good citations that he has in this chapter. Uh, McGrath wrote a history of atheism, and he noted that the greatest intolerance and violence of the 20th century was practiced by those who believed religion caused intolerance and violence. And so 
um, in addition to this outlawing, there was a there was a widespread belief, and this really comes out of the Enlightenment and um, you know the Renaissance and and the scientific revolution that that happened after the end of the Dark Ages. We think of the Dark Ages ending maybe in the 1500s, you know, and then in the 1600s and the 1700s, the Enlightenment and the this what some would call an age of reason. There was an idea and even a belief that as we became more quote unquote scientific and more technologically advanced, that religion would diminish, okay? That in human evolution, in this, in that view, religion was something that was, was needed because we didn't understand the world and ha didn't have science. And so that was going to go away. Nietzsche, who I have not I have not actually read fully any of the works of Nietzsche, but I have, he's one of these philosophers that I've read a lot about and read excerpts of, but Nietzsche is the one who famously proclaimed that God is dead and that we have no need for God, that he is a creation, um, you know, and, and out of, of Nietzsche comes, comes nihilism and, um, you know, moral relativism actually, because in that view, you know, we construct you know, for ourselves, our, our own morality. There's no absolute morality. There's no ideal that, that would exist outside. But that is actually now, you know, being shown to, to not be the case. Um, I'm going to read you this quotation. This is kind of amazing. There are now six times more Anglicans in Nigeria alone than there are in all of the United States. There are more Presbyterians in Ghana than in the United States and in Scotland combined. Korea has gone from 1% to 40% Christian in 100 years. And this one is the part that kind of flipped me. <coughs> Pardon me. Experts believe the same thing is going to happen in China. If there are half a billion Chinese Christians 50 years from now, that will change the course of human history. And so um, he says, in most cases, this Christianity that is growing, and, and this is not the one that the Christian you know, denominate the Christian churches and the and and the Christianity that's being tracked outside the United States, also within the United States, it's not um, the a, a secularized belief thin version predicted by sociologists. Keller writes, rather, it's a robust supernaturalist kind of faith with belief in miracles, scriptural authority, and personal conversion. In other words, it's an evangelical uh, Christianity. Um, he points out that the communists in World War II, as they expelled all the Western missionaries, actually ended up acting to strengthen China or Christianity within China because the Chinese church uh, became more indigenous. It, it had Chinese leaders, not Western leaders from the United States or from other places, and Christianity continues to grow in China. Um, he, he notes at the end of this section, everyone wants to think that they are in the mainstream, that they are not extremists but robust religious beliefs dominate the world. There's no reason to expect that to change. So we are not on a trajectory to become a universally secularist world. We have been a world of religious following people uh, since the beginning of time, and there's no reason to expect that to change. Um, the second way that um, Keller talks about people trying to essentially stamp out religion, besides outlawing it, is to just condemn it. Um, and we kind of find ourselves today, I think, in the United States and in the West, in this environment, where in some contexts, it is considered, quote, unenlightened and outrageous to make exclusive religious claims, even in a, in a personal conversation. 
when we do this, there, there's big risks today, right? Because you are making a universalist claim. You are, you know, um, we can be accused uh, of being arrogant in making that kind of a claim. And so <laughs> Keller points out that this idea that all religions are equally valid and teach the same thing. I mean, think about where that would take us. You know, the Branch Davidians are the ones that, you know, had the confrontation with the FBI at, at Waco. Um, you think about Jim Jones uh, down in, in South America, uh, religions that require child sacrifice. You know, these are things that we read about in the Bible. Uh, we would never say that those religions, that those practices would be equal to other faiths. Um, but if, if people are going to subscribe to this idea that all religions are equally valid, just choose what you want, they're all the same, you know, there's, there's some real big moral problems here. Um, he talks a little bit about other religions, Buddhism, um, Hinduism, Judaism, Islam, in addition to Christianity. Um, he points out that, that Buddhism doesn't actually believe in a personal God at all. Um, and, he, and he points this out, and this is one of the key tenets or, or assertions of chapter one. When you insert that a doctrine does not matter, that actually is a doctrine. When you hold to say, you know, there is, there is no one way, <laughs> there are no absolutes, you're violating something called the law of non-contradiction, which in our Western tradition, based on reason, is really important. In other words, moral relativism refutes itself. Um, because even the secularists are making moral claims um, and they're making absolutist claims. And so what Keller is wanting to point out here is that whether you do find yourself uh, and, and have claimed for yourself a place in a, a mainline denomination or you don't find yourself in a denomination, but you are a follower of Jesus or any kind of religious faith, you are making moral claims and the people who are trying to say there is no, <laughs> um, you know, single, you know, faith, are, they're making moral claims as well. Um, and so um, the side, there, there's, there's the, he talks about the whole thing about the elephant and I'll, I think I'll finish with this and then we'll, we're going to go to our table talk part. We've probably all heard this, um, this story about the elephant, right? The, the blind, the, the blind man, you know, they're, they're all feeling, blind people are feeling different parts of the elephant. Um, oh, look, it's, it's, the elephant is thick and round like a tree trunk, you know, who was fine feeling the trunk. And then someone else was feeling the leg. No, it's large and flat. The third man touches the side. They all only see one part of it. And so this is, this is sometimes used by people to say, nobody has the whole picture. So why would you say that you have the truth? Uh, because we're all just, you know, feeling and, and touching different parts of the elephant. We can't see the whole thing. And so what he points out, and this is a quotation from, um, oh, I'm trying to see. I don't see the citation here. I guess I can click on it here. Here's a Kindle lesson. If you tap on the uh, number for the footnote there at the back, okay, this was from, from, Leslie Newbegin in The Gospel in Pluralistic Society. It'll take you to the end of the chapter where you can read the end note, and then you tap that like eight again, and it'll take you back. So anyway, I don't know if you knew, knew that you could do that, but that's, that's the way that you can check your, check your sources here. Um, here's the quotation, that if this idea of the story of the elephant is used, um, then it would invalidate all claims to discern the truth. 
um, it is an arrogant claim in itself because basically the person who's claiming that is saying, I, you know, I have the perspective of the, of the entire elephant. Um, I'm making, I mean, I'm able to make this certain claim because I have that, that vantage ground to see that. And therefore I, you know, they refute themselves by making an absolute claim that everything is relative, you know, they're, they're refuting themselves. Um, okay. So I think I'm actually going to pause there and what I would like to do, um, and we're going to, um, I think we'll just stay together because we broke apart for that first part. Um, so we're going to do table talk. We're going to talk about how we huh, how we respond to religious relativism, um, and this may this will touch perhaps a little bit on some of the things that we did talk about at our table. Um, and then we'll we'll wrap up with joys and concerns. We've got about eleven minutes left here, so let me stop the recording.